Welcome to Go Into All the World. Our host is Gary Griffinhagen with Manny Rodriguez as co-host. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We pray this program is a blessing and encouragement to you today. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. We have a couple of takeaways from last week's program. Yeah, last week we had a couple of testimonies. We reviewed two of them. One kind of involved, I call it an expanded benevolence request. Okay. And the other one covered our LDS Christian dialogue. We kind of had an ongoing situation there. To me, both testimonies involved being led by the Holy Spirit, or I say sensing his prompts. You know, he, the Bible said he wants to lead us, guide us, comfort us, inspire us. And it doesn't have to be everything in our lives, thus saith the Lord, I got to hear a voice or I do this or that thing. But we do want to be sensitive. Um, you remember the benevolence thing? We prayed, the lady and I prayed, and, and God expanded the request. Right. Then God took a low tire pressure, or I had a tire with a low pressure, and that gave me comfort about the request when I went back to the shop. So again, being sensitive and kind of seeing his, his so to speak, leading us, we, we can kind of follow him and get an idea of how things work and get some comfort and peace. Absolutely. We do need to be sensitive, don't we, Gary? So it's important that we have some needs prayed for and are beyond our, sometimes our human scope, our knowledge, even our own abilities. You know, it's important to be sensitive. Well, here's a real life example um, of what happened. And this, I'm sure everybody knows that. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl, okay. and of course, they had a parade to celebrate. And towards the end, a gunfight broke out, and unfortunately, somebody was killed. I was a mother and a well-known DJ, okay, mm -hmm. that she was a mother and, a, and also a DJ. It was very, very sad to see that. And I think 22 or so were injured. Well, anyways, towards the end of the parade, there was a pastor there. He and his wife and family were there, and suddenly he felt like, I should leave or we should leave. He didn't do it right away, but he turned to his wife and said, what do you think? And she said, I know the game and this parade is important to you, but I think we should leave too. They walked away, and about 15 minutes later, somebody saw a video or something came up, and exactly where they were standing, he saw a pool of blood. Oh, wow. And he said, I see, and I'm encouraging all believers, okay? He said this on Christian Broadcasting Network, okay? CBN, five, 700 Club TV. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that was, to me, a real-life example that most of us are familiar with the Super Bowl and the parade and, unfortunately, the shooting. And here's a guy saying, I was right there, okay, but God told me to leave. Wow, that, that's so powerful, Gary. And so we have a testimony here with Mike uh, Davis. And, Gary, you want to introduce Mr. Mack yeah. here? Come on, Mike. Mike. <laughs> Great guy. He, he's, um, I guess, recently from South Carolina. Now he lives in— wow. In uh, West Jordan, I believe, okay, here in the Salt Lake area. Uh, Mike's going to tell us his testimony, uh, what probably be this program and maybe cut to the next program. Okay. We're excited to have Mike. So, Mike, thanks for coming today. Glad you were out, you know, be able to out here, and I'm glad you're here with us. And look forward to hearing your testimony. Yeah, I think you've got a very good, great testimony to share. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness, you know. You moved on from the LDS church where that you were kind of brought up and stuff. So anyway, we'll get started right away. Mike, why don't you tell us, first of all, tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up. So I grew up here in the uh, Salt Lake Valley. I am the youngest sibling of five, Mormon family, seven, okay. seven people. In it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> great, 
Kind of typical, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, and for the most part, I had a good upbringing. You know, I, I, I definitely come from a loving family. I, I never had to question whether or not my parents loved me or whether my siblings loved me. Um, I grew up in the Mormon faith, as you said, um, and that was interesting growing up in the, in the Mormon faith. Um, I, I can see in looking back on, on my early feelings and, and thoughts about, um, to jump right into the God thing, uh, my, my thoughts of God was that I was never going to be worthy enough uh, for mm-hmm. God. And, and so I, for a long time, um, I just felt like that wasn't going to be a part of my life. You know, I think that's one of the difficulties with the LDS faith, and not necessarily just LDS, but a lot of faiths that they emphasize legalism or you've got to this, you've got to be worthy, you've got to be, you know, somehow meet the standard, okay? And like you said, if you don't meet the standard or you don't feel comfortable, and you said, yes, this could actually last a lifetime for you, that maybe I'll never be worthy from God. So again, we want to emphasize his grace and how much he loves us versus this is who you should be or this is what you got to do and stuff. So I know you had to kind of rely on yourself. Like you, you wanted to play sports, but maybe there was a lot of extra money and stuff. And you said you had, if you wanted to, you know, get some, you had to kind of raise the money yourself. And I think that made an influence on you too, didn't it? It did. Yeah. This was, this was a really pushed for and, and engraved in me, my, my self-reliance. Uh, we grew up, uh, we were um, terribly poor, but we were lower income. We got, um, forced to move from a couple different homes growing up. Um, so there wasn't the extra money. And so, and I, like I say, I, I did like to play sports. Um, and usually when the sports season would come around, I'd tell my parents, you know, that, that, uh, baseball's around and this could be $40. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, my dad worked for world's finest chocolate at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so we always had chocolate bars around. And so the deal was that I would go door to door selling those chocolate bars to come up with the money. Yeah. And, and I know it sounds like a great story and it, it is, I'm not saying this was a bad experience, but what it did for me right. is engrave these thoughts in my head that, that if I needed something, I could only rely on myself. Wow. And you talk about those two competing thoughts going, going at the same right. time, you know, that one, I don't think that I'll ever be worthy enough for God. And I can only rely on myself is, is where now in reflection, when I look back, I can see how much those two things influenced my life and drove your life. Right. Um, yeah. Well, they mentioned another point that, uh, your dad has some kind of issue, whatever, and he got excommunicated from the LDS church. And again, growing up in this area, I bet you that put even more pressure on you that people now, well, gee, your dad's excommunicated your friends, if they're all LDS or. Mike, my gut, Mike, is they probably either look down at you or not as, if you want to call it, excited about you because, gosh, your dad's not in the church. And the church pretty much in, in Utah, they cut everything revolved. The whole, the whole structure revolves around the church, government, social life, and stuff. So now you tell me, does that kind of made you feel bad or did you suffer something if you want to call it that persecution because your dad's not in the church or maybe people look down at you? Yeah. Well, I would say, um, probably, you know, that, I mean, the one thing is, is, is there isn't personal relationship there. That's not the focus is personal relationship. And so, you know, for me to, to see that the church was willing to get rid of or excommunicate my dad, you know, and and these, when I say get rid of, that's just how I took it. I'm not saying that that's exactly what the church did. We all kind of know what excommunication means and, and, and he did get let back in, but that would just kind of reinforce my thoughts that, 
that I already felt at this point that I couldn't be worthy enough. Wow. And then to see the church come in and, and excommunicate my father was, was something that, that really just reinforced that core belief that, that I was already there and believing. And yeah, it made me feel different. Like, I don't know that any of my friends knew that my dad was excommunicated and they probably didn't, but it made me feel different. It made right. me feel separate right. from them. And like, how old were you when this happened? When, when I was 12 or 13 years old. Wow, can you imagine at 12, 13? Right. I mean, I'm thinking about my son. My son's eight. And yeah. He's 12, 13. And, and it's like there's this battle about in church or out of church. <laughs> well, right. And again, when you force into self-reliance or force into unworthiness, you know, there's a lot of churches that when, when a young lady gets pregnant, especially out of, you know, out of wedlock, some churches, they pretty much kick her out. Right. They, they, they make her feel ashamed. You're not worthy. You shouldn't be here. You did the wrong. How dare you? The world, you know, it's like, you know, the whole world fell apart because you did this. And obviously we don't, you know, say condone that. But on the other hand, we're all sinners and we all have areas that we have fallen. So again, you kind of like, to me, like one of these women that people shun. And yeah. some of them leave the church and they know where to go. And of course, maybe they have a financial issue. Kind of like you. It's, it's kind of God's country. It's kind of like what Mike would. Suddenly, he has to be self-reliant. This is I'm I'm single mom. I, I don't. Dad doesn't want to support me, and you know I, I should have her. Maybe well, God, maybe the word abortion comes in. I'm a Christian. All kind of stuff. All kind of pressure comes on us. Yeah, and it's not right. And like Manny says, at 12 or 13, I mean, dear God, what could people put up with? <laughs> you know, even a woman at 18, 19, 20 that that kind of gets this un, unexpected, mm. uh, you know, surprise or pregnancy yeah. stuff. They need help and they need people to minister to them. And again, take away this, you have to be worthy thing. Jesus, the Bible says none of us are worthy. So whether it's LDS or any any group, Catholic, Christian, whatever, they're telling them you have to be worthy. Hey, that's not biblical. I mean, he, he yeah. said, dude, none of you were righteous. You know? mm. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. So let's be a little less uh, into this worthy thing, okay? Right. Because I'm God, you're not. I'm here to save you because you can't do it. Mike, I think you took your first drink at 13 or so. And um, tell us a little bit, maybe how you kind of got into that and how did it affect you? How did it affect your schooling? And if you don't mind, uh, I could expand on the, the the story of my first drink. Well, first of all, sure. I had my first beer when I was, when I was 13 years old mm -hmm. and I, I thought it was gross. I wasn't, wasn't that interested. <laughs> But Good. of course, growing up in an LDS community, most of my friends' parents didn't drink. Right. And uh, so me and a couple of friends, we had a couple of empty Pepsi bottles or Pepsi bottles we'd emptied. We went around to all of the non-Mormon friends' houses and, and <laughs> had them pour whatever liquor they would give us into these Pepsi bottles. So we had brown liquors and clear liquors all in these, these Pepsi bottles. No wonder. That's <laughs> <Just> nasty. <laughs> we did mix it with Pepsi, but yeah, from what I remember, I don't remember loving that, that taste either. But what I do remember, and this was a blackout drunk, we had planned on spending the night and the camping out in what we called the goalie. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it took probably, um, or I'll probably say... Uh, it was about 20 minutes before I blacked out. And what I remember in that 20 minutes was a feeling of like, I was home. I, I knew, I knew, didn't know what this feeling was, but I knew I wanted more of it. Mm. You know, you and I talked a little bit about your testimony ahead of time. I remember that was a point you made. And I thought that was very telling that this beer, this drink, or this combination of drinks did make me feel like I was at home. 
And again, that's, well, well, I won't go there. Let's just, we'll just go on from there. But anyways, you have, after you kind of had a year, maybe your freshman year kind of drinking and stuff, I know it was a sophomore, maybe towards the end, you thought, well, I need to get back. Maybe my grades aren't as good. Um, tell me a little bit about what happened then as your sophomore year. And then of course, when I did your junior year, what was your plan as you kind of like started working through some of this, so to speak, alcohol, smoking, and kind of this not so much rebellious period, but period where you were kind of off into those, so kind of seek drugs and things like that. Or yeah, so the alcohol thing, you know, started out. It was it was you know maybe once or twice a month, and then then as we moved into um, my freshman year, um, started smoking weed, dropping a little acid, um, some mushrooms, and, and and as I moved into my sophomore year, this became um, a thing where I would smoke weed on the way into school and meet up with some friends and we'd go for coffee and, and then we'd go back to a friend's house and we'd smoke more weed. So obviously I'm not going to much school at all. In classes, yeah. Right, right. And and that's kind of how a lot of my sophomore year went. And, and just this, because this was a, this was, you know, basically for the time I got up in the morning, I still wasn't into anything crazy yet, but the, the lifestyle was there of, of of uh, doing this all day long, and and it really wore on me by the end of my sophomore year, uh, and I I had decided that I was going to quit um, smoking weed, and and uh, um and I did for the most part. Um, I don't really remember <clears throat> any any time of, of really going back to that at all after around the spring of my sophomore year. So I went back to drinking a little bit and, and I'd still drop acid from time to time, but this, this, and, and I was going back to school too. I mean, I started out my sophomore year and gifted and talented classes. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, I'm failing out of everything. So as a junior, I think you said you, you were trying to try to turn things around. Um, did that work out? So going into my, the, the summer between my sophomore year and my junior year, I, uh, uh, I broken my ankle at a cast up above my knee. I had to have surgery on it uh, oh. the day after I, I broke it. Of course, I broke it drunk, um, running from the police. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, um, so I was home that summer. Could really was pretty immobile, with, especially yeah, because you get, yeah, you can't be running around getting going. Right. So, so I kind of decided that you know that this was a good chance for me to. Uh, kind of turn things around that I take on this next school year. Still had plenty of time to make up credits that I had lost out on my, on my sophomore year and right. and kind of thought that that I could see things going in a new direction. And uh, it wasn't, but even on the first day of school, on crutches, leaving school to go get uh, some beer in downtown Salt Lake and, and getting drunk on my first day of school. <laughs> well, I think you mentioned when we talked a little bit of it, you really didn't have an exact plan or how, how to stay clean and get clean. And again, when you don't have some of the support from a church or people that are, how should I say, knowledgeable and caring and stuff, that would have been nice if you would have had a support at church and people that were like saying, hey, Mike, we're going to help you. We're going to walk with you and stuff. You know, we all need that. We all have areas of our life where it's good to have somebody walk with us and stuff. So anyways, you kind of, the first day you kind of got back into it and I say from there, we, we kind of like got back into it more. Is that a fair statement? Or yeah. If you just want to reflect real quickly too on my core beliefs at this point. So, you know, 
I'm self-reliant. So when I say right. when I say that I'm going to, you know, change things right. around the beginning of the year, this is only like they will. I'm gonna say, yeah, you're not gonna talk to anybody necessarily either, but not to any person, not to God. I didn't see how this all fit. The only thing I knew at this point was my core beliefs and and my course going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, that that that, that I was completely self-reliant, or at least I thought that I could only rely on myself. So Okay. Well, listen, I want to go down to what you and your friend Jason did. I think you guys decided to get some help or go back and talk to your family. Um, tell us a little bit about that and what that led to. Okay. So just to, to back up just a hair, what brought us to this point was uh, uh, fairly early on into my junior year, um, me and Jason and another friend, um, we, we drove down to Pioneer Park laughing our way all the way there. Bought some cocaine and heroin, and uh, we came back to uh, to another friend's house, and and we sh- shot up uh, cocaine and heroin. First time I ever tried either of those drugs was was intravenously. Yeah, heroin's yeah. And we, yeah, we couldn't think it was funny enough, and and just how quickly that drug uh, or those drugs, mostly for me, it was the cocaine um, that 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 really spoke to me. Um, had that same feeling too. Oh, you want to say first act? Were you back home again? Yeah, or they that anything I'm all absolutely, yeah. And uh, so this went on for about nine months, and and in that nine months, I had dropped out of school, taken on a full time job. My other friends, or Jason and this other friend, were working full time jobs. We we had, you know, I mean, just keep in mind we're 16, 17 years old. Mm. We we didn't have a lot of possessions, but what possessions? Our gaming systems. We pawned. Um, and, and then by the end or before, uh, we came to this point, uh, where me and Jason have brought our families together, um, we had stolen, I had stolen from, from my family as, as well. And, and I think that my family had suspected that maybe I was smoking when, yeah, or something on the yeah. lines, but yeah. I don't think anyone had, had thought that we were or a Coke or something a little stiffer. Right. So I had ran away on a Friday night and, uh. I was deciding because me and Jason had found a place in in uh, downtown Seattle when we could find crack, and uh, I was either going to move to Seattle and 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 just live out my addiction to its fullest, or I was going to get help. Mm. On that following Sunday, uh, my brother—I had a pager back then—and uh, my my brother um, was just older than me, and uh, he had paged me as if he was, I believe, Jason. So I answered it and we ended up meeting up and we brought our, that night, um, decided that, that the direction I was going to go was, was for help. And, and, and so Jason kind of saw the writing on the wall that, that I've confessed that, that of course, you know, his family's going to know as well. So we brought our families together and, and, uh, we, we let them know that night what, what we had been involved in for the, for the, uh, uh, last nine months. And I think we, we shocked them all, but. It was pretty powerful. Uh, when I came back into my mom's house, there was my oldest brother there. There was my mom there, and it was hugged, you know, and and uh, felt a lot of confidence that that okay, you know, we're going to rehab now, and and we're going to take this thing on, you know, like I, I'm going to overcome this. Were, were some of the thoughts I had from back then? Okay. Well, I'm 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 very I'm sure you were blessed, and all of us are blessed here, are you? Your older brother and your mom supported you and, you know, new quote, didn't kick you out or come back with recriminations and all this kind of dumb stuff that, you know, sometimes people do. 
We'll tell us a little bit about rehab. How did that go? You know, and um, we'll see what happens after that. But again, let's start with rehab. How did I think you, you mentioned AA or something like that? But tell us what so this is going on. First introduction to twelve step program, and I, I don't wouldn't I, I read through the and AA big book um, at this time. I didn't really understand it. Um, I, I didn't even know that I didn't understand it. Okay. Um, I, I didn't have a permanent sponsor at the time. And, and, but what I did have is, is, is I was able to, so at first I went to a, a teen program Okay. and in that teen program, there was mostly just uh, troubled youth that were in there. There was no one else that was in there for intravenously doing drugs. And so I spoke up and, and to the director of the program and he agreed that at 17, I probably would qualify for the adult IOP, so IOP program. And even though these guys were, you know, 30 and 40 years old and I was 17, I, it was awesome to be in a room full of people who had several, similar struggles, similar experiences. And I could find that magic that is in, in one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate the AA program. I know a lot of believers. We have kind of like, quote, Christian celebrate recovery and different kind of quote Christian, you know, teen challenge programs, but anything like you say that gets a person to begin to slow down, stop. And of course they're talking about a higher power and just kind of take stock. Where are we? Where are we going? Where, where have we been? And how do I kind of take my, my life in a different direction? Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, did you, did that kind of not get you out of it or did you kind of relapse? And I think if, if I remember right, you began to, kind of a long period of relapses, but you tell us. So. Yeah. So I had about nine months, uh, sober after, after going into rehab there with, uh, um, at, at age 17, um, we had a planned relapse on that, that mm -hmm. spring break of the following <laughs> a couple of friends were getting together and it was, it was alcohol or just alcohol. Um, and from there, um, I, I like to call that my, my 17 year relapse. Um, <laughs> It just led into a lot of drinking that left most of the drugs aside, although we had occasional weekends, sometimes it last a week, um, getting back into the cocaine and heroin until um, I was about 26. And, and uh, just to, it, for the most part, though, as I'm getting into my early 20s, you know, this is kind of a typical party lifestyle and stuff. And clubs and bars, you know, yeah. and I had a fake ID before I was 21. So I was going to the bars beforehand and then afterwards. It was Real easy upon this office, being something normal to to that age in 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 my life. Um, what well, what wasn't wasn't maybe normal about this was the fact that that you know I may go out to to the bar on a for a girls' night on Wednesday with this group of friends, yeah. and then go out with this group of friends on Thursday. The the one constant oh. between me and all my friends was the fact that I was drinking every night. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a pretty difficult situation to, <laughs> you know, recover from, but I think we're going to kind of cut it short here. We're going to have to have you back next week and kind of take it up from there. And I know in your mid twenties, yet some good things began to happen. Okay. But, um, man, is there anything you'd like to say? We're going to kind of wind down here, the program. And again, we'll have Mike back next week. So. Mike, was so good to have you, you know, and I just want to say that it, how important it is to be sensitive to the spirit of God and to be sensitive. And, <clears throat> you know, the initial cry started something. The initial cry started something. 
even though there was some some back. Well, and I think too, um, and Mike, do you have anything you want to add before we end the program? I know we kind of covered up to, like I say, your mid twenties. But anything else you want to add, or any other takeaways, or anything you thought of while we've been talking? No, I think we'll we'll, we'll get to where, where, like you said, there's some good things happening now coming up here in in my story. Well, I I think as we end today, I want to come back to the self reliance and not feeling worthy again, when people emphasize to you, when I say people, I'm saying church people, Mm -hmm. emphasize, okay, worthiness, okay, over grace, then we have a serious problem. And we can see how coupled, again, with you kind of like forced into self-reliance or you kind of took that banner on yourself, it kind of really multiplied in your life and stuff. So again, as you listen to us today and, and we talk with Mike, the next program or two, think about, when you talk to people about the Lord, try not to emphasize you have to be worthy, you have to follow commandments, you have to, you have to, you have to. No, the Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short. Let's receive Christ. Let's get saved and find our identity in him. And he makes us new people. Listen, thanks so much for joining us. We hope to see you next week as we go into all the world.